Well, good afternoon, ladies. It's not morning on Wednesday, February 2nd. It is afternoon. And um, just want to welcome you to the Wednesday Watermark Bible Study. Um, I'm here at Watermark, but none of you are because we're frozen in and canceled today. Um, but we're up here. We've got rolling power. So we've, everything's a little bit different than it might normally be on a typical day. But we wanted um, so much to get started with the study that we're going to try to give you everything as best we can so that we can kick our semester off and keep rolling next week uh, when we meet again on February 9th. Um, it's been December 1st was the last time we were together, and always our study starts in September, runs to April, and we take the, the holiday time off. So it's been eight weeks. It's going to be a little over that now before we get back together since we've been together, and I don't know about the rest of you, but I have missed being together, and I'm so excited to get started again for what we consider our spring semester. It's kind of weird to even say that because here we are in the Antarctic temperatures. This is worse truly than Antarctica because I've been there and this is worse. So at least today it is. So welcome. Um, those of you that are new, we have a boatload of new women and if you were in um, the, the, the teaching room with us, I would say raise your hands. If you're new, we want to welcome you and so there in the comfort of your home in front of your own computer. Raise your hand. If you're new, welcome. We're so glad you're here um, and have come to join us. And, and we're really honored that you want to invest your time with us on Wednesday mornings to come together to study God's Word, to look at how we can apply it to our lives, and then allow what we study to transform us, to change the way we live. That's our primary purpose. That's our singular we would say if we had to choose one, that's our singular focus in this Bible study. But we have a secondary purpose, and it is to serve together. And we do that in a number of ways. Last Wednesday, over 50 of us um, were here serving together. If you were seeing the PowerPoint that's going to be running that will be attached to this video, you will see some photos from our service day. So if we would have all been together, you'd be seeing them up on the screens now because I wanted to show you that over 50 of us showed up last week on our service day. We've traditionally been doing this for the last three, four years, um, coming together on the Wednesday before we begin officially to work together and to serve. We serve our own Bible study, children's program. Um, we help put together their crafts. We serve the church's building blocks program. And we've it's just become tradition that we put together and prepare things for the te our teams that are going to Africa. And while on the subject of Africa, don't I don't want to forget to tell you that we're still collecting. As a matter of fact, we have, are having a team leave this Friday for Burundi, but the first week of March we'll have another team heading out to Uganda. And so uh, we sent most of our supplies that we gathered at service day with the Burundi team, but we're still going to collect these, th these items. If you've got gently worn, and I do mean gently worn, they don't need to be new, don't worry if they have stains, listen, if you've ever been to Africa, you have no idea uh, what you might consider as, you know, goodwill clothing will be a cherished piece of clothing for the kids there. So gently worn, um, kids, garage sale type items, uh, baby clothing up to six toddler. We're collecting that. We're collecting reading glasses of any size strength. Uh, doesn't matter that they, 
even though they, they don't all need them, they know someone that does, and so any strength would work and be appropriate. Hotel samples, so any of you that traveled, or if you've got a husband that travels, ask him to bring home. Tell him, oh baby, don't leave those samples. Or if you travel in business, don't, don't leave those behind. Pick up the soap. Even if you use a shampoo once, we'd love to screw the lid on tightly and send it to Africa as a little gift. We, we uh, give those to the people as gifts there, and, and they treasure it and love having those things. And um, then adult-sized T-shirts. Those we use, I hope, last week at the External Focus Day. You got to stop by the bead booth and the um, scarf booth. The way our microfinance works in Uganda, um, we have... Of course, our very own Barbara Robertson, who trained these women to knit um, and brainstormed the idea of knitting scarves out of used t-shirts. We need a continual supply um, of as many adult size worn t-shirts as possible. Um, we cut the sleeves off, we cut the necks off, and we take them over there, and they cut them into strips and knit them into gorgeous scarves. And um, actually, Barbara just recently did a deal with uh, Whole Foods Market, they will be selling these as well. It's a wonderful way to, to support our uh, our widows and our microfinance pro project. So any of those items would be great. We'll have a laundry bin downstairs. When you walk in the door next week, you can just drop them in there and we'll get them where they need to be. Then lastly, the other way we serve together is through our partnership, again, with our external focus team. We've partnered, um, as you're aware if you're a Watermark member, that we partner with Carr Elementary, and we do a number of things down there. But this Bible study specifically serves as their staff appreciation because they, they really don't have an active PTA that, that provides that support. So we come in once a month. We provide meals. Um, we do other special little treats, sessies for the teachers, for all employees. We do something for all of the employees. And if you are interested and would like to do that together with us, because groups of us do this together, um, Ask your small group leader. You'll get more information about that in your small group, and we'll, we'll bring you up to, to speed on all that. So, Isaiah, we are here to study the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is really the mother load of all Hebrew prophecy. It's one of the most significant Old Testament books, and it's really one of the most loved in all the Bible. The New Testament alludes to the book of Isaiah specifically over 250 times. It quotes it exactly at least 50 times and, and really, again, alluding to um, and referencing it far more than that. It was a favorite of the Apostle Paul. He used it over and over repeatedly. It was a favorite of Jesus, for, uh, uh, for that matter. Jesus himself commissioned his own ministry by referring to to the a book of Isaiah, the scroll, actually. When he stood up in the temple to initiate or commission his own ministry, his three years of ministry here on earth, he was handed the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And this is what Jesus read from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to announce that the captives will be released and that prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. And that's what Judah and Israel, that's what they wanted. Um, 
that's exactly what they were looking for in the coming king. And, and this really initiated Jesus' ministry. Isaiah is really, has been called the Bible in miniature. Your Bible as a whole has 66 books in the Bible. Did you know Isaiah has 66 chapters, just like your Bible? Your Bible is split into two sections, uh, two portions, two parts. Um, and that's really uh, how you would divide the book of Isaiah. The uh, Old Testament, our Old Testament is 39 uh, books, and predominantly the 39 books of the Old Testament speak of, of justice, God's justice, and God's judgment on, on Israel, on, the, on people, um, for not holding, upholding the law. Just so, the, the book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters, really speak heavily to God's justice. They speak of God and who he is, but they speak of his justice. Because he's perfect and holy, he demands the same, and we can't measure up. And it speaks much of this, and then of how God will judge sin when and where he finds it. Then our New Testament is comprised of 27 books. Um, in the New Testament, Isaiah's last 27 chapters really speak of what our New Testament does. And the New Testament, as you know, really speaks to uh, freedom and redemption that come with Jesus, with, with the coming Messiah, with G what Jesus Christ, the, uh, the age that he ushered in. And that's exactly what the last 27 chapters of Isaiah do. They really speak to freedom and redemption. I don't know about you, but I'm not really that great at math sometimes, but I can multiply and divide. So what I do know is Isaiah, hmm, it's 66 chapters. We have 12 weeks in this Bible study, 11 now actually for you guys. We have 12 weeks in this Bible study, 66 chapters. If you divide those two out, all I know is, wow, we are going to be hoofing it to complete this book by the end of April, which is what we're going to do. And that is exactly what we're going to do. But if you were coming to this study hoping and looking for an in-depth, verse-by-verse analysis of the book of Isaiah, you're going to be disappointed because we don't have time to do that. So rather, I'd like for you to think about this study that we're going to do as a survey, a big picture look at Isaiah. There are going to be weeks when we're going to be reading up to 10 chapters of Isaiah, um, which again, when you think about it, is really just a little more than a chapter to read a day. And so it's a survey, a bird's eye view, where you're going to catch a glimpse and an understanding of the main message and the themes in the book. What you will walk away with is a glimpse of God in his glory, in his righteousness, in his holiness and justice. You will see Jesus um, clearly, perfectly pictured from very early in on the book to the very end. You're going to see him as the Messiah who came to suffer, to serve. Um, uh, I guess he served first and then he suffered. To die and to come again. You will see, um, you'll see as well uh, really a picture of the end of history as we know it. Because Isaiah not only prophesied to, 
uh, you know, are foretold for his own people. But many times what he saw and what he told had to do with the immediate circumstances of the people, but it also was foreshadowing for the end of all time, um, a time you, neither you nor I have arrived at. And so it gives us a future and a hope and something to look forward to. So I don't want to waste another moment. I want to quickly get to three things, three big picture things, overall things I think that we can learn right now um, that you can know you're going to get to look forward to uh, from the book of Isaiah this spring. And those three things really are, let's, let's look at Isaiah as a man on a mission, just like you and me. He's a man with a message, only it's not really what people want to hear sometimes. And that's true for you and I. And he is a man who saw more. And that should give you and I hope. And those are the things we're going to look at today. So the first one, um, our first point on our outline, and I will make sure the outline is attached. And so you can get the outline and all the notes and all the verses, just as if you were watching it on overheads um, or on the screens if you were sitting in the room with me right now. So our first point is Isaiah is a man on a mission just like you and me. Isaiah was a prophet to the nation of Judah. Um, now, when I study the Bible, I try, this is hard sometimes, but I try to put myself in that time period. And I try to um, put myself among those people, think what they're thinking, and then bring it forward to where I am today. So I kept thinking, you know, um, my own picture of a prophet of God from today's times, I think we, we elevate that. Um, we dramatize it. We glamorize prophets in, in biblical times. And yet, let's go back. And when we go back to that day and age and we try to put ourselves where Isaiah was among his people, I got to tell you, I think... It really wasn't such a sought-after job um, in that day and age. Kind of like one of the shows that my son Jordan loves to watch. You guys know he's a film major, so even though he was very limited on TV in our home, he watches it ad nauseum now for class, for this, for that. He tells me some of the stuff he's watching, and he's like, well, i got to watch it for this class I'm taking. Wild. But anyway, one of the shows he loves is a show some of you may know. It's called Dirty Jobs. Um, and you've got a picture here of the the uh, MC of Dirty Jobs. It'll be on your on your notes when you go to look at it. Um, it's not that the jobs featured on this show are bad in and of themselves. They're not. In fact, many of the jobs featured on this show are vital to our health and well-being as a people here in America. It's just that they aren't the jobs many of us want to do. They're stinky jobs. The, the picture actually shows him holding his hand like, oh, this is really nasty. This is stinky. This is dirty. And so um, it just made me think, wow, that's how it often was for prophets of old. They were called. God called them to something. But what did their people think of that? Oh, oh, I don't, mm, don't want to hear it. That's kind of, gosh, I don't, don't say that. Don't say it like that. Oh, no. I don't want to hear it. That's, that's uh, you know, la, 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 la. I can't hear you. That is the prophet of old. It's a dirty job. And we just didn't want to. Somebody's got to do it, but none of us really want to be doing that. That's the position that Isaiah found himself in when God called him. And it reminded me of, of that whole calling of God and how Isaiah responded. 
Isaiah responded very positively, but mm, not so with all the prophets God called. Remember Jonah? He actually uh, was one of the prophets with Isaiah. There are 17 prophets in our Old Testament, and Jonah was one of them as well. Jonah was actually called to the nation of Assyria, which we will read lots about. They're highly figured in the book of Isaiah. Jonah was called to the city of Nineveh in the nation of Assyria, a disgusting people um, that live with disregard for human life and uh, awful. And so when God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, uh, I, I want to turn those people to myself, I want you to take my name and make me famous there, Jonah was like, ah, mm, don't think so. Remember what he did? Uh, when God called him, he ran right into the belly of a whale. Now that is a dirty job. I think it would qualify. I think he could be on the show. Um, so you see, not all the prophets responded well and, and wisely. But what we know is Jonah did go back. And Nineveh did repent. And that's the job of a prophet. And that's exactly where we find Isaiah. So when God called Isaiah, how did he answer? I love it. I love in chapter 6 that you're going to get to hear that Isaiah said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Uh, what a great response. It's the same response Samuel had when God was calling Samuel as a little boy. He, Here I am, Lord. Um, great, great response that we see um, mirrored for us. It's convicting, actually. Isaiah went on to have a mission that spanned over 50 years. It um, as you will see, covers four kings, um, kingdoms, if you will, four, four different changes in leadership and power, and actually went into a fifth with King Manasseh, and I'll, I'll get to that later. Israel at the time was what, what we call a divided kingdom. Um, the ancient world was in political turmoil, and there were all types of alliances and maneuverings going on between countries and lots of warring going on, and so there was little Israel divided in two. And what happened is, after Solomon's death, um, Israel divided into these two pieces, north and south. The northern part of Israel retained the name Israel. The southern portion uh, took the name of Judah, after the tribe of Judah. Israel in the north had zero, no godly kings. And so Assyria comes to execute God's judge, judgment and justice, and they are obliterated first, taken first into captivity. Judah escaped that for a time because Judah did have some godly kings. Not all, but it had some. So that's where we find Isaiah and his little nation of Judah at the time uh, we come in. Uh, scripture, again, we, we know that Isaiah was a prophet. Well, Scripture defines a prophet as someone who foretells things that will happen in the future which is where we get the whole thing, prophecy, something that is going to happen. It hasn't, but I see it in the future. But it also, Scripture also defines a prophet as someone who tells four things, which means simply that they tell it like it is. They speak the truth in the here and now. And that is exactly what you and I are called to do today, right here, right now. You if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, are called to speak God's truth. You're a prophet in this day, in this time. So there's lots you can learn from Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who did really three things on his mission. 
He lived to first glorify God in everything he did. It's as simple as that. The Westminster Catechism says exactly the same thing, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It sure sounds like a good thing to do, doesn't it? Isaiah, it does and it is. And Isaiah didn't just know the truth of this, he did it. And he did it despite whatever public opinion Paul was going for or against him at the time. He, he just did it. Because he loved the Lord and he wanted to live in his glory all the days of his life. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever then you eat or drink, and whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's what he's calling you and I to. The second thing Isaiah did was he lived to bring others into relationship with God. Isaiah's countrymen were in trouble. Let's face it. It would be like us having an alcoholic sibling um, and letting him or her get behind the wheel of a car after, after drinking. Um, we wouldn't do it. It wouldn't be safe. It wouldn't be right. Um, and neither could Isaiah. He could see his countrymen headed for disaster, the men and women, and children. He, he knew what was coming, and he was going to do everything in his power to stop them. And, and that's what we see. His people had left God, and so he rang the alarm, begging them to turn around. That's what repent means. It means do a 180. Turn from where you're headed and go in a different direction. And that's exactly what he was calling them to do. And what he was warning them of is do this, and if you don't, you will suffer the consequences. And he's going to spell them out to us in this book in great and alarming detail. But as we know, because we're past that time, they, they did suffer. We know that because we just studied the book of Daniel um, last semester. And Daniel, as you'll remember, was written from the nation, uh, from the capital of Babylon after Judah fell. It was Babylon that took Judah, not Assyria. Assyria took Israel, but Babylon captures Judah and takes the best of its men and women away. And Daniel was one of those young men as a teenage boy who was taken into captivity. So last semester we studied the time period passed when the people were captives and groaning under that captivity. And we saw the breadth of Daniel's uh, ministry, and we saw the people return and come back to Jerusalem. So we know that that was the, the pattern. And I love, again, the New Testament and how it compels us to do the same thing, to live, to bring people into relationship with God. But we live... Uh, in, the, in what's called the new dispensation, in the time after Jesus has come to this earth. And so what we know, uh, Isaiah was calling his people back to God through the law. We come to bring people into a relationship with God only through Jesus Christ and his shed blood, his death um, on the cross. And so I love... Uh, how Paul reflects this to us in the book of Colossians 4, 3, and 4. Pray for us also that God may open the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison right now, that I may make it clear just as I ought to speak. And that's exactly what, what each of us should be doing. We should be praying that God would open doors for us every day at the grocery store, at the uh, at the gas station, at our kids' school, at our work. Pray that God will open the door so that you then will have the words to speak the truth and declare the mystery of Jesus Christ. 
And then lastly, the third thing that Isaiah did is he lived with inner peace, not outward security. He knew his nation was going to fall. What did that feel like? I mean, he looked around him. His kings were making deals with other countries, and he was begging them, don't do that. Don't trust. Don't trust Egypt. Trust God. Don't trust your alliance over here or over there. Trust God. It's the same message. Judah was relying on their military alliances and their might, not God. The situation seemed too big and too grave to wait on God. They kind of surmised that God wanted them to take action, didn't he? Ah, doesn't that sound familiar? Because I don't know about you, but I think many times in my life, I haven't waited on God. So, I've come up with a plan. I've maneuvered and I've manipulated things and I've worked out things in my way, often for my security, without trusting God and relying on Him to take me through whatever He has to take me through. How often do you attempt to fix things in your own life or that of your children so that they and you will be safe and secure? Safety is not what we're called to in this life. It certainly wasn't for Isaiah as a prophet. Um, tradition, tradition actually tells us, we, we can't know for certain, but tradition and many scholars actually believe that Isaiah was sawn in two by King Manasseh, who comes at the end of his prophetic time. It wasn't safe for Isaiah. And yet, what does he declare in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4? These great, great words. Thou dost keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Trust then in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You know, a little over a year ago, we do a lot of work with our um, partner in Africa Alarm, African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries. And I was with Celestin Musakura, who is the founder of that ministry, um, at a, in a meeting. And we were strategizing on different things. And uh, he walked in and, and had trouble sitting down in his chair when he came to sit down. And he said, well, I'm preparing myself for a trip to Sudan. I'm going there. And I said, well, what do you mean you're preparing yourself? And he said, well, um, I... I've been striking my backside, and he says it in this beautiful, lilting accent. I've been striking my backside in case I'm arrested for spreading the gospel there because, you know, it's against the law. He said that uh, the penalty, if you're arrested, is that you will be flogged. Your backside will be flogged with canes. And so he was literally banging himself on the backside, on the bum, to toughen himself up should he be arrested. That gave me a renewed desire to move to whatever, towards whatever it is God was asking me to do, even if I didn't want to, even if it seems uncomfortable, like surely not this way. But God, if you're asking me, I'm going to trust that you're going to figure this out. Like Isaiah, if you know Christ, then you are on a mission every day. If you look at the three things that compelled Isaiah, uh, that we just discussed. How would you say you're doing in each of those areas? Living to bring glory to God, living to bring others into relationship, and living with inner peace, not caring about your outward safety and security. How you doing? Well, no matter what chaos is going on outside of you or your life, you can be assured of peace just like Isaiah was. Dwell on Isaiah 26. And that takes us to the next thing, which is Isaiah was a man on a mission, our second point. 
I'm sorry, a man with a message. Um, he was on a mission and he had a message. It just wasn't one that people wanted to hear. Remember, being a prophet in that day and age wasn't always the most glorious of jobs. In fact, it was oftentimes quite the opposite. But God asked the prophet frequently to do some really outlandish, preposterous things. Um, like going naked for three years. Yes, you're going to get to that, and you're going to read. And really, I think it means go down to the loincloth. We'll get to that, and we'll study that, and we'll all figure it out. But the, the text literally says naked um, for three years, laying on one side and then the other. Unbelievable. And it would have been terribly humiliating for a Jewish man. And yet, Isaiah did it in spades. I'm sure he was thinking, you've got to be kidding me. He was a master communicator, this Isaiah, and so he did what, I, what God asked him, and he used incredible language that would knock the socks off of uh, some of the televangelists that we see today. He illustrated his points with colorful and dramatic analogies and language, and you're going to love reading some of the things he says that, that Judah is like, and he uses some of the most incredible uh, descriptions of his, of his countrymen, of his people, to try to get them to stop and listen and hear and see themselves. And what was his message to his people? It was really twofold. Isaiah was living to remind, number one, to remind his people who they were and what they would do. You know, we just had a State of the Union address from President Obama last week, and I was watching the commentators before he even spoke. And one of them, actually, I'd already written this, and I was amazed because he said, you know, what Obama's going to do tonight is he's going to remind us who we are as Americans and what we have to do to get ourselves out of this situation. He was referring to the, to the uh, nation's debt. And I thought, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what a leader should do. That's exactly what a prophet should do. It's what Isaiah did. Remind his people who they were and what they should do. Judah was part of God's chosen people. He had called them to himself. He had set them apart. They were special. Um, we started the journey on January 1, and we started reading Isaiah. So you should have been reading along if you're on our journey program. You've already seen the sins of these people, murder, idolatry, um, robbery, um, uh, having no care or concern for, for those that, that have less than themselves. These were just a few of the things, the widows, the orphans, zero care, zero concern. His countrymen had forgotten that God called them to minister in every one of those areas, to not do those things, and, and to to be a light around them. And so uh, as Isaiah spoke this message, he was rejected for it. His message was rejected. He called them to repent, and they, they didn't want any part of it. Many of the God-fearing Jews either couldn't or wouldn't hear the truth in his words, just like they later did with Jesus when he came to declare the truth of his message and his ministry. And Jesus said it well in Matthew eleven fifteen: He who has ears... Let him hear. What a vivid check for me and for you. We need to be women who have ears to hear. To hear our husbands if we're married. To hear our friends or our family if we're not. To hear our children. To hear our community as they speak the truth in love to us. To hear what they say. To repent. To turn around. And to go God's way. And the second thing Isaiah did 
after reminding them who they were and what they were to do, is he was one who was willing to bear both the good and the bad news. It's always to tell, easy to tell people what they want to hear, the good news. Uh, that's the fun part. I love doing that. I love uh, carrying congratulations or telling someone how great of a job they're doing. That, that's, that's fun. That's easy. It is really difficult to walk in and fire somebody. That's a whole different story. It is really difficult to tell someone they've blown it in an area. Uh, and yet, that's exactly what Isaiah was called to do. Both the good and the bad. And he did plenty of it. He foretold horrors that his countrymen couldn't even imagine or envision, all in an attempt to save them, to call them to repent before it was too late. I love Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So, you know, we've got to be women, ladies, who, uh, who give open rebuke to one another who don't lavish profuse kisses on one another, but are willing to say the difficult words that need to be said. One of the toughest things in life is to give, in life is to give wise counsel to people, people that you love and live life with, whether it's your family. Gosh, I had to do it over Christmas with my own mother. It's never easy. It's hard. It's difficult. It's awkward. Uh, and yet we're called to do it. And the result can be sweet. It was a sweet time with my mom, but there was... There was misunderstanding, there was miscommunication, there was hurt feelings, and, and uh, we had to deal with it. It was difficult, but it was so worth it. Uh, oftentimes, we want to go to our community looking for, for folks to reinforce what we're thinking we want to do, and yet to be community, many times they have to help us see the things that we can't see or hear, like just like uh, the nation of Judah, on our own. And so... That's really, this is challenging. Isaiah is going to challenge us to, to do and be that, that type of woman today in our life today. We've got to know that God uh, will speak to us. He will guide us just like he did Isaiah, but primarily he'll do it for three, th three things in this day and age. He's going to do it through his word, and in the notes are going to be some great passages that you can look up that speak to that in Psalms and Timothy and Hebrews. He's going to do it through his Holy Spirit that if you are a believer, lives inside of you. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Not it. He. He, the Holy Spirit, is able to do those things. He's alive in you if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. So uh, his spirit is going to speak to you. And you can read about that in John. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you several passages in the notes, so don't forget to look at them. And then God speaks to us through his people, others, his community, other believers. So when you go to seek wise counsel, be careful where you get that from. And always go to seek that from God-fearing people who are going to do exactly what I would do if you came to me. I would say, hmm, well, let's see. That's a sticky situation. What passages could possibly inform us? Gosh, I can't. Let me think on that. Let's do some digging. Let's all do some digging because God's word is our guide. And I'm sure there's a principle in here that will help us. And so be sure you do that because we've got to be women today who have ears to hear what we really don't want to. Uh, we've got to be teachable even now, no matter how old we are. I'm 50, almost 52. I've still got to be teachable. My mother, who is 75, still has to be teachable. So let's be teachable and let's be women 
who will do what God's calling us to do, like speak to our families, speak to our friends, speak to our coworkers or neighbors, even when it's hard. So my question for you today as you apply this is, what is it in your life right now that God is urging you to do, someone to speak to over an issue either past in your life or present? Don't wait another moment. Go today and call them up. And be just what James commands us to be in James 1, 22 to 25. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being not just a hearer that forgets, but a doer that acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's the woman I know you want to be. And that takes us to the last thing that we're going to learn from Isaiah today. And that's Isaiah was a man who saw more. And that should give you an I hope for today. Isaiah's message, really from beginning to end, emphasizes redemption from his, for his people. Because even when he sees the bad that's going to happen, he sees as well that God will bring them back to the land and he will redeem them and bring them back to himself. Even better than they were before, whole and complete. Because he's going to fold in the Gentile world into that picture that really was the true picture he had from the beginning. Isaiah's purpose was to minister to the little bitty nation of Judah. And yet here we are, 2500, over 2,500 years later, gaining hope from his words. Isaiah predicts the coming of the Messiah. I've told you already. He predicts his suffering, his death, his resurrection. But most importantly, ladies, he predicts his return to reign as King Jesus. Isn't that exciting? That's a message for you and I. It's still a prophecy because Jesus hasn't returned yet. So we're going to read Isaiah's words that will give us hope for what Jesus has yet to do. And what he's going to do is come back and set the world right. Everything in this world will be made right. Wow. That is great news. That is exactly what we're still longing for and looking for today in our life. Uh, it, it, it is. It's the message. We want things to be set right, just like Isaiah did. We, it, it just compels me or helps me to think about the fact that, that that's what makes this just such a perfect time to study this book right now. Because I think... We're so much like Isaiah. We're waiting, longing for God to make things right. And so let's join Isaiah, the prophet, our teacher this semester, uh, to see what we can learn from, from separating the beginning from the end. Isaiah did this. Let's gain insight and hope for tomorrow. Take a look around you, ladies, right now. Things aren't right here. Death is all around us. I, I can't help but think just recently, what's going on around us right here, right now in our world? I think of the senseless killings in Tucson, Arizona. I think of Egypt. I love it because if you're on the journey, you read about Egypt and the fall of Egypt. Uh, we, we just read all about that last week on the journey. And what was happening at the very same time right here, right now in 2011? Egypt. It's crumbling before our eyes. Things are being maneuvered and, and, and 
the powers that be, the, the, uh, uh, the power brokers of this day are saying, what are we going to do if the Suez Canal shuts down? And how are we going to do this and that? And it's, it may change the whole balance of power. And it's happening again right now. The time is now. Do you see that? And yet without faith, it would be easy to lose hope, would it not? For those of us that believe, however, there is great hope that what happens in this world is not all there is. And the things that do happen, happen for a reason and a purpose. And it's to give us a future and a hope, just like Jeremiah predicted in Jeremiah 29, 11, another great prophet. So our response and reaction to what happens in on this world stage today and right now, as you hear these things, as you talk among your friends and family, and they begin to lose hope, man, remind them, ladies, who they are. Remind them that this, this world is not all there is. And so as we leave, as you as you move on through your work week, getting to next week, what I'd love for you to do is roll up your sleeves and get dirty. You've got a dirty job ahead of you, just like Isaiah. Roll up your sleeves and look to how you can get involved with those around you, um, how you can remind them that, no, this world is not all there is, but that there is a future and an everlasting hope, and it's available to them, to each of them, through Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to read this as, our, as we close and uh, as we pray. From Revelation, because Revelation does tell us the end of the story. It brings us full circle. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now the dwelling of God is with me, and... and uh, is with me, and he will live among them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things will pass away. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that we don't have to tremble in fear, just like Isaiah's countrymen in Judah at this, the time of this writing, didn't have to fear either. But they could put their full trust and faith in you. And, and we want to do that very same thing today. As chaos seems to be reigning around us, we don't have to fear. And so help us be women, God, who are full of faith and who live in trust um, that things will be set right just uh, as you intend them to be, that we want to live today um, full of knowledge that there is a future and a hope for us. And we want to do that in your name always and only. We pray this, these things. Amen. And so what I want to do finally as we finish is I just want to tell you what would happen if we would have, if you would have been up here with me now and would have been in your small group, you would have left right now and gone to your small group experience. You'd have met the new people because we've Again, like I said, got so many new people. Um, so each of the groups will probably have a few new folks if you had room. We've got some new groups even starting. And in that time, you would have picked up your book that we're going to use for the study. It's the Be Comforted Commentary on Isaiah. And this is a little different than what we did last semester. Last semester, we had you pick up a Bible study guide with questions. But... Um, 
you know, and then we said pick up the commentary as an additive. We want to simplify always. We don't want there to be more than you um, have time to do in a week. And so what we realized is there are some fabulous questions at the end of every one of the chapters in the commentary. And the commentary is excellent, and we didn't want you to miss it. So we want you to, to uh, first as you pick up your commentary. We want you to turn to the chapter that is assigned for the week, each week, but don't read the commentary first. We want you to read your Bible first. So chapter two is gonna set, it's going to be on chapters one through six. So before you read the commentary, we recommend you sit down and read chapters one through six and make a few notes. And so uh, we're encouraging you to come up to the, to the uh, Watermark offices or even at church on Sunday. Uh, we'll have women at the welcome desk handing out the books, and they'll be handing out some really cute little journals that fit exactly. They're the same size. Isn't that perfect and awesome? And in the journal, we've got a little flap at the beginning of the journal as you open it. Uh, just some reminders for how do you study your Bible? Well, how do you do that each week? And it's going to tell you to pray and ask God to let your eyes and your ears hear and see what he's trying to tell you. And it's going to then ask you to read, and it's going to ask you to list, go through and say, who will ask yourself the who, what, why, when, and how questions. Who's writing? Who's talking? Who are the people in here? What's going on? What's happening at the time frame? When is this happening? Just background information. And so just ask you a few simple things, and we're going to ask you to Note those as you read in the journal. And then literally, there's not going to be room. Uh, that's the one thing about the commentary. The questions are there at the end, but there's not room to write the answers to your questions. So that kind of frustrate would frustrate me, which is why we brought, bought you a journal. And that way you can read the question and write the answer, your notes as you read the passage, and then write the answers to the questions in here. Then, as your last step, read the commentary and read what Isaiah has to say about what you've written. You'll be encouraged. You'll be informed. Um, you're going to love it. Isaiah, come pick up your books Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 on the 8th floor, or Sunday, you can pick them up at the welcome desk between services from 1020 to 11 a.m. Can't wait to see you next week. Thanks.